You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Good to see you all. I have my drink. Got my lunch. <clears throat> it's an apple, if you couldn't see it. Bet you wish you had one. <laughs> all right. So, my name is Robert. If you don't know me, my name is Robert. If you do know me, my name is Robert. Uh, that always gets me every week. It's, the other guys typically say, in case you don't know me, or no, if you don't, if you don't know me, my name is so and so. I'm like, well, if I do know you, it's still your name. You know, what a silly thing to say. But my name is Robert. I, uh, I'm on the staff here at the Crossing Church. Uh, it's, it's my role to help strengthen families through crossing kids, crossing students, and now crossing parents. If you haven't checked out yet, crossingparents.com would really encourage you to do so. I also help oversee like the mission of the church, like making sure we're keeping our eye on the prize and that, you know, missional communities are, you know, out there on mission. If you're a guest with us, if it's your first time with us or first couple times with us, welcome. We are really, really thankful that you're here with us. We'd love to know that you came. So right there in front of you in the chair, right in front of you, or if you want to reach right behind you, if that's easier, there's a little card, a connect card. If you take like 30 seconds and fill that out, you can uh, leave it in your seat. When you leave, we'd just like to know about your visit and how we can love you in ways that really matter to you. I promise it's not to harass you or or bombard you with phone calls. If you start getting spam calls, it's not because of us, okay? It's not our fault. All right, last week, um, we began a series entitled The Fruit of the Spirit. And the whole idea comes from this phrase that Paul used in a letter to the church in Galatia, where he lists nine ways that the Spirit's work shows up in the life of a Christian. And so last week, we took like a 30,000-foot view of the whole text. And for the next several weeks, we're going to go through these nine attributes one at a time and dissect them. So we're going to start there. We're going to reread the text from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 25. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. And as always... If you would like the notes for today's sermon, those are available on the YouVersion Bible app, if that's of interest to you. So Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 25. Paul writing says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Now I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray one last time and ask you, Father, would you teach us your way? It's like what we're asking here today is to understand things from your words, things of a supernatural level, and we cannot like do that on our own. We need your help. And so Holy Spirit, like work, do your work in this place and in our hearts. And I pray that when we walk away from here, we would walk away changed because we've encountered God. We've encountered you. So may that be true as we dig into your word. I ask it through Jesus name. Amen. All right. I want to make a few general observations uh, before we jump into today's message on love. Okay. So if I may, the first observation is going to have to do with these two lists. It's really hard to say, by the way, if you have a list out there, that's a really hard word to say. It's plural for list. Lists. Okay. He gives two lists. The first one is a list of sins. And he calls them the, another hard word, if you have a lisp, the acts of the flesh. The acts of the flesh. Next, he gives a list of characteristics that he calls the fruit of the spirit. And notice that the acts of the flesh is plural, while the fruit of the spirit is singular. So Paul here basically gives a list of sins to choose from, but the fruit of the spirit is a package deal. Like, there are not nine fruits. There is one fruit with nine attributes. So think of it this way. It's possible for a person to be like sexually moral and upright while still being full of selfish ambition. Or you may have a person who one day is like drunk at the lake and another day he's filled with jealousy. And it's not all at the same time. So what you have is like a list of sins. And believe me, it's not an exhaustive list. I've found some more. But it is a list of sins to choose from. On the other hand, you have the fruit of the Spirit, and it's a package deal. It's kind of like this apple. This apple, one apple, but there's a lot of attributes. It is red. This apple is ripe. This apple is sweet. It is juicy. It contains inside of it the seeds of life in its core. And all of these things are true about this apple because it's the nature of the apple. Okay? All of those things true, but it's one apple. That's the nature of the apple. And when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, it's all or nothing. And so what Paul's really talking about here is change. Like real change. Heart transformation. And we can all probably point to something in our lives that we would like to change in ourselves. Like, would you agree? But change is hard. Amen? Change is hard. Even with all the willpower that we can muster, change is really, really hard. And so to illustrate this, I'm going to conduct a little science experiment. You didn't know we were going to geek out this morning. We are. And I need a volunteer. So would a volunteer please uh, raise your hand? Come on. Oh, yeah. Come on up. Come on up. That's so great. Thank you. Yes. Round of applause. Here we go. 
While she's on her way up, I'm going to show you something. Oh, um, this will help. Okay. Come on. Come on up. That's all, right. all right. So check it out. Hold this paper up so people can see what I'm doing. I want you to just kind of hold that paper up there. Don't lose it. That's my notes. We'll all be a mess if I lose that. All right. So this right here, I'm holding it in front of the paper so you can see it. This is a bobby pin. Okay. You know what a bobby pin is? You do? You have it in your hair right now? Oh, okay. Well, anyway. All right. So a bobby pin, I'm going to show you. I'm doing this so they can see what I'm doing. It's not to hide it from you, but they can't. I did it the first service. Nobody can see what I'm doing. You probably can't see it either. That's okay. I want you to try this at home. It's really cool. Your kids will think you're a cool person if you do this, okay? So like this bobby pin, if you pull it out like this, you can stretch it out. See how it's stretched out? Can you tell? I don't know if you can. If you let go, pow, ow, it actually hurts my fingers, but it pops back in place. I want you to see it too. See how I'm stretching it out? It pops right back in place. No matter like if I do it for a long time, I keep holding it out, holding it out, let go. It pops right back in place, okay? Now we're going to do something really cool. You can put that down, okay? Good job. Hold on. You're not done. Look at this. Oh, yeah. These are pliers. I want you to hold on to this. And the reason I want you to do that is for your safety, okay? I want you to use the pliers, really, for safety. Because I have a lighter, okay? I know. She's real nervous. It's not going to blow up, I promise. All right, so I'm going to light this. Now, I have another lighter at home. I'm going to have to delay here for a second. I have another lighter at home. It's like a torch lighter, like that. And it does this much faster. But you're going to have to hang on for just a second. We're heating up the bobby pin. Oh, I blew it out. Maybe if I quit talking while I'm doing it, I wouldn't blow on the light. All right, hang tight. We're getting there. It's getting close. I don't know if y'all can, t- you can't tell, but I'm telling you the pin is getting hot. Okay. That's why you're using pliers. Does that make sense? You don't want to touch it. Can you tell what's happening there? You see how it's changing colors? It is because we're melting off the little outer coating on the pin. All right. We're almost there. Almost there. It's getting really hot. What would be really cool is if I had my little torch one at home. Okay. We're going to stop. If I have my little torch one at home, it gets red hot. Way cool. Okay. Thank you very much. Let's give her another round of applause. Great job. Great job. Okay. Waving it around. Okay. Show your kids this. Okay. So take a little bobby pin, get it under some fire, let it get good and hot. All right. I'm going to touch it now. It is still, ow, that's pretty hot, but I'm going to do it anyway for your sake. You're welcome. All right. So I'm going to take this bobby pin and I'm now going to do the same thing. I'm going to pull it out like this. Oh, 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 oh. Look at that. It did not snap back into place. Do you see that? You don't. Okay, try it at home and you'll do it. You'll see it, okay? It did not snap back into place. Something inside this pen changed. We actually changed the nature of the steel of this bobby pin. It's made out of steel, okay? All right, cool. Now, we are a lot like a bobby pin, okay? Follow me here. We can put a lot of willpower into changing. But as soon as we let up, or our circumstances change, we snap back to the way we were. And that's what Paul's saying when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's it's that these are like the result of a, a supernaturally changed heart, a permanently changed heart. They're traits that cannot be changed by willpower. And what we're going to see today... And in the coming weeks is that it is entirely possible to mistake a morally restrained heart for a supernaturally changed heart. In other words, a heart that's restrained by our willpower and effort. And then we're we're often surprised when we find out that we haven't really changed. We've restrained ourselves through willpower, but we've not changed from the inside. 
And so we're going to start with the first one of these nine characteristics. And it's the most important, by the way, love. Jesus says, it's the greatest of all the commandments. In fact, love, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it sums up all the other commandments, okay? It's like love is the greatest, all right? So we're going to start by defining love, okay? And this can get really complicated because... There's some language and cultural differences between Greek and Aramaic that Paul used and, and like modern English or Arkansan, right? <clears throat> so we use the word love for all kinds of stuff. Like we use it about, to talk about romantic affection, like Buddy the Elf. Remember, he runs into his dad's office, Buddy the Elf, you all know him, right? He flings his hat off and says, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it, right? He says that because he's met this girl. She's changed his world. And his tongue swells up, you know, when he sees her and he's around her and he gets sweaty. You know what I'm saying? I've I've experienced this. Maybe you've experienced it. I've experienced that like when Allison and I were dating. uh, After a few months, and I'm telling you, I took my time. After a few months, long months, of signing all my letters and cards, and there were a lot of them, multiple per day. I signed all my letters and cards, love in Christ. See? See? Not I love you. We weren't there yet. Love in Christ. But I decided it was time to take our relationship to the next level. And so I was crazy about her. I wanted her to know it. And so I I told her for the first time. I remember I was in the attic of my dad's little house on West Kings Highway. It's not there anymore. It got torn down. They put a Dollar General there now. Uh, but I was talking to Allison on my cordless phone. Uh, not a cell phone. Uh, that's when I told her. I said, I've been thinking about this for a while. And I want you to know. Dramatic pause. I love you. Bam! Next level. You know what I'm saying? Like it was whew, a rush of whoa. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Okay? He's not talking about that. We also use love to talk about like strong emotions, strong feelings that we have for cool stuff. Like I love a good steak. Amen. I love airplanes and cake. I love that dress. You know, that's a little joke in our house, but that's not what he's talking about here either. In Paul's language, there are a lot of words, multiple words for these different kinds of love. But the one he's using here is this word agape. Maybe you've heard the word agape. It's not merely emotional or romantic. It's a supernatural, sacrificial, giving love as DC talk once put it in such a poetic way. It's not love like you know it, like you love your girl. It's a love from above, not of this world, right? Y'all know what I'm saying? Any of my 90s Christians out there throwing back? What's up? Yeah, all right. DC talk. All right. Shape, shape my faith. Anyway, but it's not like that. It's not merely emotional or romantic. This kind of love is also not the same as like outward activism or service to others either. Like with this kind of love, actions, outward actions are a result of a heart change, an inner change. And the problem is that you can do all kinds of deeds for the benefit of others and be totally devoid of love. So we're going to look at the love chapter. It's in 1 Corinthians 13. You want to get your Bible turned there. You've probably heard this read at weddings. Or maybe you've seen it on posters or on Christian Facebook posts. But Paul's writing about agape love. And he's writing it on the heels of talking about the gifts of the Spirit. 
The really cool ones. Like at the end of chapter 12, he was talking about prophecies and miracles and tongues. But look what he does in the first two verses of chapter 13. Okay, let's read it together. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I do not have love. And there's that word, agape. If I don't have that, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. And he's like appealing to this idea uh, of, of like pagan worship where men would often like clang cymbals or like sound a gong in order to get the God's attention. And you know, we can be a lot like that where we do acts of service. We try to get God's attention or maybe try to get the attention of others. And then he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, in other words, like I'm well-educated, I can understand and teach the Bible. And then he says, if I have faith that can move mountains, in other words, if I'm a, I'm a visionary leader, I, I can get stuff done, but I do not have love. I am what? Nothing. Not I'm, I'm halfway there. No, I am nothing. And the sobering thing is, is that it's totally possible to be doing all this teaching and healing and so on without a changed heart, without agape love. And he says that when we do so, we're nothing. In fact, it's entirely possible to have a heart that's not been transformed by the Spirit of God and still be successful even in ministry. Jesus talked about it, Matthew seven twenty two. Talking to religious people, he says, many people are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, like, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name, didn't we drive out demons and perform many miracles? Like, we did. That's cool stuff. Like, I've not even done that stuff. And then I will tell them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. So a life of service to others is not to be confused with supernatural love. But let's also remember this. That a heart that has been supernaturally changed will produce this agape love. And that will always lead to a life of service. So do you catch that? The actions are a result of the attitude. The action without the attitude, get this, is hypocrisy. It's, it's legalism. It's what Jesus pointed out to those religious leaders of his day. He says this in Matthew 23. He says, woe to you, religious people, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs and you look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. And in the same way, you on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy. And wickedness. So if it's not that, if this kind of love is not like this romantic feeling, or if it's not some kind of like really strong emotional sense or urge, or if it's not even service to others, then what is it? Well, it goes on in 1 Corinthians 13 to define it, verses 4 to 8. Let's read that together. He says, love is patient. This agape. It's patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast and it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So Paul gives 
15 descriptions of what love is. And what's really interesting is how virtually every one of them is the exact opposite of what my natural state of being is. So to experience these, like some kind of reality in my life, it involves what Jesus called dying or a hating of your life in this world. John 12, Jesus says it this way. Very truly, I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So to see what he means, look at verse 4 at that first description. Love is patient. Or more literally, love suffers long. And then in verse 5, you see love is not easily angered. Or in other words, it's not irritable. Now, who here likes their plans being messed up? Anybody? (laughs) Not me. Okay. It's like we all have this strong desire for a trouble-free life. And we tend to get a little bit, a little bit irritated if a wrench gets thrown in our plans. We do not like catching red lights when we got somewhere to be. Amen. I'm trying to get to Tamales, which is now in Jonesboro. Okay. And when I get down, let me, can I, anybody know where I'm about to talk about down here at Green County Tech? You get down there at the school and there's a red light down there. Yes. It's the most sensitive red light I have ever seen. Jonesboro's not like this. Anybody know with me? I, I want to talk to somebody that's in the choir with me. You with me? Okay, great. Jonesboro's lights aren't like this. They're long. They, they know which traffic, which roads got the traffic. You know what I'm saying? 25,000 cars a day are driving down Highway 49. There's like 150 driving this little crossroad here. One little car, which is going to turn right anyway. He doesn't even need a green light. And that light, when, when he gets up to it, that light turns yellow. My light. And boy, if my kids are with me, what happens? Like, they're like, oh boy, here we go. And Alice is like, babe, it's okay. It's okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, like, I'm about to lose my, my, my mind. Yeah. We don't like that. We, yeah, amen. I know. I'm going to call the highway department. Thank you, brother. It's a good idea. We don't like overheated cars on our vacation. Uh, we don't like our babies to cry through the night. Amen. That ain't why I had them. We do not like the government to mandate what I can and can't do and get in my way. I like it when life flows according to plan. And when it doesn't, our nature is to be provoked and to complain, grumble, murmur, and be angry and critical. And Paul says, love suffers long. It's not easily angered. So what about this whole side of us that suffers short? Has a short fuse, it's easily provoked, easily complains, easily grumbles, easily gets angry or criticizes. Like, what do we do with that? Well, the answer is, it must die. To love like this is to die. If I'm going to be like this, something in me must die. My craving for a trouble-free life must die. My need for like an uninterrupted schedule must die. We simply cannot love the way Paul describes here without death. The same is true for these other descriptions too. Look here. He says, love does not envy. 
<laughs> but I'm, I'm constantly wanting what other people have that I don't. It doesn't boast. But I, I'm, I'm regularly making sure that other people notice my accomplishments. It's not proud. But somehow I've developed all kinds of strategies to minimize my failures and to maximize my successes. I tend to draw attention to one and cover up the other. And one way people do this a lot of times is just like outright bragging. But there's a more subtle and refined way uh, to express our pride. I'm usually better at this. Like bringing the conversation back one, uh, over and over again to ourselves and what we've done. Or even more subtly, constantly talking about our woundedness, our sadness, or about how bad things have gone for us. Did you know that self-pity on the one hand and boasting on the other hand are both forms of pride? Uh, one of them is like pride in the heart of the weak or wounded, and one's pride in the heart of the strong. Let's look at one more, verse 6. He says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And like there's this sneaky little idea that's crept into the church. And it's like it's like this code of ethics that basically says this, that unconditional love is the same as unconditional acceptance or tolerance. And there seems to be no truer way to love another person than to fully accept everything about them. And this is ultimately like, where does this come from? Well, ultimately, it's coming from a place of fear. Like, we don't like it when others don't like us. And we're afraid of offending them. And so we're quick to value niceness over truth. And again, like a death has to happen. We're like our craving for approval of others has to die. And like, God, I just uh, see that so much in me. A craving for the approval of others. It's not love. It's a counterfeit. So we have to do away with this idea that like, if we just, if we just love everybody, the world will like us and people will talk good about us. It's simply not true. I mean, like, look at Jesus. He was the perfect embodiment of love. And what happened to him? They crucified him. And he wasn't always nice. Isn't it interesting how Paul, speaking of Jesus, Paul does not say, I want you to be patient. I want you to be kind. I want you to stop envying and boasting and so on. He doesn't say, I want you to do or I want you to be this or that. Instead, what does he do? He personifies love. In other words, he makes love like a person. In verses 4 to 8, look at it. Love is like a person. It's patient. Love is patient. This person, this this entity is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud, etc. So real agape love in you comes only through meeting love. Get that again. Real agape love comes only through meeting love. It's not something you do. It's a power that does something to you. Like it picks you up. It changes you. And so let's go, let's go back to the bobby pins for a second. If I may. The heat was introduced to this bobby pin. And when heat was introduced to the bobby pin, what did it do? It changed the nature of the pin. Can I get a little geeky for a second? 
on the inside, okay, this is made of steel. And on the inside, we literally, when we heated up, we changed the crystalline structure within the steel. So it wasn't able to like hold carbon in the same way. And so when it cooled off, like the nature of it had changed. And so there was like, when we bend it now, there's real change. It doesn't snap back into place. In the same way, when we encounter the love of God, just like this bobby pin encountered the heat of that little thing there, lighter. When we encounter the love of God through Jesus, it changes us from the inside out. So love then is the fruit. It's the evidence of the Spirit's presence in our life. So that's why John, that's why John says in 1 John 4, 19, this is why we love. We love because he first loved us. It changed us. Do you hear that? Like the reason, the reason I'm able to love and the reason I do it is because he's first loved us. So how did he love us? How did God love us? Well, let's go to the most famous verse in all the Bible. John chapter three, verse 16. John three sixteen. Let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Yes. Literally that word so, God so loved the world, it does not actually mean God loved the world so much. Like because God loved the world so much, he did this. It's not actually what it literally means. That word so literally means God loved the world like this or in this way. This is how, this is the way God loved the world. What way? How did God love the world? He gave his one and only son. That's how God loved the world. How did God love you? By stepping out of eternity and into time, into your mess, pursuing you all the way to the cross where he laid down his life so that you through faith in Jesus could be forgiven. And have new life. And you could receive his spirit in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Can now live inside of you. That's how he loved you. This is the gospel. This is selfless. Sacrificial love. Tim Keller says it this way. The gospel is. This is the gospel. The gospel is that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. And at the same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. And ladies and gentlemen, we need to hear both of those. We need to hear the truth of our own condition. And we need to hear the reality of God's love for us. Because like our condition is bad. Do y'all know that? Your condition is bad. In fact, when you hear the idea that you are a sinner, do you know why you're a sinner? It's not because you sin. You sinning doesn't make you a sinner. Just like my dog, Chester, barking doesn't make him a dog. Speaking of which, my wife has an in-home daycare, which means that every morning, 85 people come to my house uh, one at a time. And they all knock on my door to drop off their, their kids. Okay. And they're wonderful kids. Okay. Don't get me wrong. They're all great. <laughs> but every time that door gets knocked on, here we go. Here's my dog. <laughs> you know, I'll be like, he's, just, and it's insane. You cannot, you can't stop him. 
It's, it's, it is literally, he goes insane. Okay. It's my dog, Chester. He's a Pomeranian. He's four pounds. He's all bark, but I, I'm tired of it. I, I don't want to hear it. I, I'm not just like, I've tried holding this. I've tried everything, you know, like I've tortured him, everything. It's bad. And I can't get him to stop barking, but that barking does not make him a dog. I could run around my house every time someone knocks on the door and go rah, 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 every time. And I would not be a dog. I could crawl around on all fours. I could eat from a, a dog bowl. I could sniff cats rear ends. Like it's not going to make me a dog. Okay. My dog does all those things. All right. So why does he do that? He does those things because he is a dog. It's his nature. And the same thing's true of you. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because it's who you are. You're a sinner. That baby that you had that was so precious and stuff when they didn't do nothing. As soon as they, you see that like, dude, this dude is like real jealous. So this, this dude's like, this girl's like really uh, selfish. It's not because you're a bad parent and you taught them to do that. It's because it's who they are. And it starts coming out of them. It proves who they are. Just like my dog, you know, and when you first get him, he doesn't bark and stuff. He's a little bit, I mean, literally he was like a fluff ball. Cutest thing ever. Allison put him in a purse and stuff and took him to ball games. It was like, oh, so cute. They started, you know, barking all the time. He got older. It just came out. And the same, same thing's true of you. We're sinners by nature. And I'm telling you, it's bad. Think about this. Like all of God's creation, everything God's made. Okay. It all is obeying God perfectly. Like exactly what he said to do. Like God creates the world and it does what he says. Like God creates the seas and says like, come to this place and like no further. This is where you're to be. And the seas obey him. Like God says to the mountains, like be raised up this high, no higher. And it obeys him. God like creates flame stars in space. They go exactly where they're supposed to go. They circle in the right orbit, exactly the way they're supposed to. He creates all the animals and birds and reptiles and, 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 and like fishes and everything else and says, I want you to act this way and do this thing and whatever. And that's exactly what they do. And then he looks at you, looks at me and he says, I want you to trust me. I want you to follow me. I want you to love me. And we say, no, no, like we're the only, we're all, we're the only creature that God has made. That's like this. We're so rebellious. We are bent on our own way, but God, I don't need you. Not only do I not need you, I don't want you. I'm going to go my own way. I've got a better way for my life. I don't trust you. I'm telling you, it's bleak. It's bl- it's black. It's dark. And why do we paint such a dire picture of our condition? Because it's like when you go out and look at the stars in the city versus like going out and looking at the stars like in, I don't know, Arizona or Colorado, far away from light pollution. It's against a dark black canvas that the brilliance of the stars is most glorious, right? And it's against the reality that we are more sinful than we could ever imagine that the love and goodness of God is more glorious than we could ever believe. We could ever hope for it to be. God's love is relentless. It is tireless. I wouldn't say it's reckless, but it is patient. It is kind. His love pursues you when you didn't want to be pursued. His love came after you when you weren't looking for him. You weren't looking for God when God found you. We don't climb some ladder and try to figure it out and say, God, I did it. No, we're scrambling around, running away, and God comes down into our mess. And he comes after us. 
See, love without truth, like the truth of our condition, it's just sentimental. It affirms us. It makes us feel good, like God loves me. I can do whatever I want. But it keeps us in our denial about our flaws and our sin. Ultimately, it'll damn us. And on the other hand, truth without love is harsh. It gives us like information about how we are, but it does it in a way that really produces no heart change. So God's love in Christ, his saving love for us is marked by radical truth, okay, about who we are and also radical, unconditional commitment to us. And when we see that there's nothing we could do to make God love us anymore, and there's nothing we could do to make him love us any less, when we see that, we believe that, it gives us strength to see the truth about ourselves and repent, to turn away. And when we repent and put our trust in Christ, and we experience true agape love, it transforms us. And so we come to Jesus in faith, and he gives us a new heart. A new heart with a totally new purpose. In John 13, Jesus says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. What? And by this, he says, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So he commands us to love like that, like the way he loved. Friends, it's impossible. That's impossible. We are actually commanded to do something we cannot do. Do you realize that? It's something only the Spirit can do in us. So this one command, like this this love Christ or love the way Christ loved us, this one command, it makes all the laws of the Bible, the rules of the Bible seem easy. And it makes the Christian life seem impossible. It makes it impossible. Yet throughout history, like this love has been the mark of the church. It's what's baffled and overthrew the Roman Empire. Like it wasn't debate. It wasn't apologetics. It wasn't like miracles. It was the love that Christians had, both for one another and for their enemies. There was a guy in the, uh, I think it would be the second century. It's about a hundred years after the time of Jesus, after the time of his uh, death and resurrection. His name was Aristides the, Ar- the Athenian, Athenian from Athens, okay? And he wrote a letter to the Roman emperor Hadrian in about like 134 or whatever, okay? So it's way long ago. These are early, early Christians. He's writing a letter about them. It's called an apology, but not an apology in the sense of like, hey, I'm so sorry for this or that. It, it's like a defense because at the time, Christians were being heavily persecuted throughout the Roman empire. And this guy has been observing the life of Christians and he just doesn't feel this is the right thing to do to be persecuting them like this. And so he writes an apology for Christians because he'd been observing their life. It's kind of a long writing, but if you'll read it with me, uh, we'll read it quickly. Okay. This is what he says about early Christians. He says, if one or other of them have bondmen and bondwomen or children, okay. In other words, they have people in their debt or like you think of like a slave or children through love towards them, talking about Christians, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they have done so, they call them brethren without distinction. In other words, they're on the same level. They do not worship strange gods and they go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehoods not found among them and they love one another. And from widows, 
They do not turn away their esteem and they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a, as a very brother. And they don't call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the spirit and in God. And whenever one, check this out, whenever one of their poor passes from the world, each one of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. Check this out. Like in, the, in that time, if, if you were in prison for being a Christian or for whatever, if you didn't have people coming and to the prison where you were and ministering to your necessity, in other words, bringing you food, giving you blankets, you're going to die in prison. They, there were no Hilton prisons like today. Okay, three square meals a day and, and playgrounds. Okay, it wasn't like that. And then he says, if it was possible to redeem him, in other words, to, to bond him out, they set him free. And if there's among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. They observe the precepts of their Messiah with much care, living justly and soberly as the Lord their God commanded them. This is the Christians he's seeing. This is, this is the life that he's seeing these Christians live. You know what that is? Agape. That's love. When people were to write, if people were to write about the crossing, God, I pray these things could be said of us. I pray this would be true. So who are we to love? Well, first and foremost, if you probably figure this out, we're to love God. We're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, okay, Jesus says this is the first and greatest commandment. Like, okay, I got it. I love God. He makes me feel really good. Like, no, 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 that's what we're talking about. This love, this sacrificial love, it's not self-seeking. So in other words, when we love God, we love him not for what he can do for us, but for who he is. We love the master, not what's on the master's table. So we love God. But secondly, we've got to love our neighbors as ourself. He said the second commandment is just like the first. You can't love God and not love your neighbor. Well, how do we do that? Well, we care for the stranger. We sacrifice for others, especially those who don't have the ability to pay us back. Someone asked Jesus one time, like, well, then who is my neighbor? And Jesus told this story. It's in Luke chapter 10. He says there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. In other words, it was a Jew. He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Kind of like the guy in Princess Bride, right? Mostly dead. Not all dead, right? There's a difference between, okay, anyway, some of you get it, I guess. I don't know. but it, And it's not a real person, so we can talk about him anyway, so it's fine. Anyway, this guy's mostly dead. He's half dead. And a priest happens to be going down the same road. Well, they're good. That's a good guy. Probably get some help here. Priest comes down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Must have had a potluck to go to. You know what I'm saying? So priest going down, passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite. When he comes to the place, he saw him. He passes by on the other side. This guy doesn't even have a wife. Like, where does he have to go? You know what I'm saying? 
But a Samaritan, you know what they're supposed to do? Hate the Jew. Hate the Jew. Why? I don't know. He's not a Samaritan. He's a Jew. We hate him. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came and saw him. Uh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Uh, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. That word literally means like he had compassion toward him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Well, that cost him something. And then he put the man on his own donkey. Oh, he's physically picking this guy up, puts him on his own donkey. He walks alongside the donkey and brings the man to an inn to take care of him. The next day, he takes out two denarii, in other words, two days' wages, and gives it to the innkeeper. And he tells him, look after him, and when I return, I'll pay you more money if you've incurred more expenses. (laughs) This is sacrificial love. This man's not concerned for himself. He's not concerned about the cost. He's not concerned about the convenience. This is the love like God has for us. Number three, we have to love our enemies. And by enemies, we're not talking about people you don't like. That's not what the enemy is. The enemies are those who would oppose us or they would seek to do us harm, especially they're opposing the, the movement of the gospel. And we're to love our enemies because that's what God did for us. Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that one time you were alienated from God. You were an enemy in your mind because of your evil behavior. That was you. But now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the through death to present you holy in his sight. Without blemish, free from accusation. You know, in Matthew 5, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says that you're never more like God than when you love your enemies. Not just to the, not just loving those who, like, are going to love you back. Loving those, not just who don't can't afford to love you back or, or pay you back, but loving those who directly oppose you and who would seek to do you harm. That's what God did for you. So we... Love God. We love our neighbor. We love our enemies. And lastly, we have to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. First John 4, 7, John writes, says, Dear friends, and by friends he's talking about brothers and sisters, Christians. Let us love one another. Let us love the other Christians. Why? For love, agape, comes from God. And check, check this out. Everyone who loves like this, agape, has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Did you know that your love for the church is one of the primary evidences that you're a Christian? Like sometimes I, in student ministry, we deal a lot with, uh, with teenagers who will be like, I don't really know if I'm a Christian. That's a, that's a common theme among teens. And it's usually because early in life, they had some kind of religious experience. Okay. Or maybe they truly came to faith, but I'm just saying there was some kind of religious experience. They prayed a prayer. They went to a vacation Bible school. They were baptized or whatever. And then like something, there's some kind of crisis of faith going on in their teen years. They're starting to think like, I don't really like what, what happened to me then is not like lining up with my life today. 
And they'll say, like, I don't really know if I'm a Christian. Well, I can tell you this. The Bible never tells us to find assurance of our salvation by going back and looking at some past experience. It never tells us that. If you're wrestling with your faith, like, am I, do I truly belong to God? Has Jesus really changed me? Like, am I going to heaven when I die? I'm telling you, Jesus, Paul, Peter, no one ever says, well, did you pray a prayer? Well, did you get baptized? Like, well, did you have a religious experience? Well, are you going to church every week? Never ask those questions. Instead, he says to look at the fruit of your life and see if there's evidence that the spirit is at work in you. And what's one of the primary fruits or one of the primary, uh, I guess, aspects of that fruit? Love and love for other Christians. In 1 John 2, 9, same, same book. John says, anyone who claims to be in the light, in other words, I'm a Christian, I'm in the light, but he hates his brother or sister, talking about other Christians, he's still in darkness. He is not a Christian. And there are, listen, there are many, and they're in our churches, they would claim the name of Christ, they would not bat an eye at the idea of dying for their country, but they never give a thought to their fellow brothers and sisters around the world. Or maybe even there are fellow brothers and sisters in the church that they belong to. And ladies and gentlemen, like if, if, if my love for country supersedes my love for the brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a red flag. There's something wrong. Like this whole idea of like, I'm going to group together with my people because we're Americans or I'm going to group together with my people because we're Caucasian or we're, you know, or because I speak English or because I was born uh, in Arkansas or because I'm a Hogs fan or, or whatever it is that you use to identify yourself with a group. There is one thing that binds us together and it's Christ and him crucified. And that only we do have a people like we do have a group. We do have a posse and I have brothers and sisters who are losing arms and legs over in Iran because, because they're preaching the gospel. That's my brother. That's my sister. That's my people. Not other hogs fans. No, I mean, I like the hogs, you know, it's fine. Listen, you can be a Tennessee volunteers fan and we can still, we can still do it. You know what I'm saying? Like we it's okay. It's not that bad, you know? Some of you are like, ah, I'm telling you, if you are like, ah, listen, God, do I have the spirit? Mm, all right. I mean, it's fun to laugh about, but sometimes we laugh because it's revealing something that's scary. So test yourself. See if you're of the faith. So how do we love? Let's just finish with this. Like we're commanded to do it. But something we can't do. Like it literally is a work of the spirit. And if that's true, I'm going to give you two things that we have to do. If we're going to love like this, number one, we have to meet love. That has to happen. Galatians 5, back to the original text. Galatians 5, 24. Paul said, those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. So remember, there's nothing you can do to earn the love of God. Nothing you can do. There's no, there's no work you have to do to earn the love of God. It is unconditional. There is no condition. 
so you don't like work your way up to God. However, it is available to you. And if you're here today and you're saying like, this stuff's not true of me. I've not experienced love like that. I've never like given myself to Christ. Like, I, you know, maybe you're religious or maybe like you don't see a lot of this agape love in your life. You're saying like, what's wrong? It could be that you've not met Christ. But it's available to you. It's offered to you. And right now, I'm telling you, if you'll listen, you may hear him call your name. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and heavy burden, I will give you rest. I will change your life. And when you receive the love of God in faith, in Christ, his work on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, you will receive the gift of his Holy Spirit. Check it out. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead enters into you. He lives in you. This, and I'm telling you, raising Jesus from the dead, that's power. You know what I'm saying? And you may be sitting there back there thinking like, I can't love people that way. You're right, you can. But that same spirit who has the power to raise Jesus from the dead has the power to help you love others that way. And when you receive Christ, that spirit lives in you and you won't be able to help it. The, the fruit starts like popping out, dangling off your body, off your, your life, the tree of your life. Does this make sense? They will know you're a Christian by your love, by the fruit. I know it's an apple tree because there's apples dangling off of it. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus says, every tree that's not bearing fruit, there is no love there. What happens to every tree that bears no fruit? It's cut down, he says, thrown into the fire. So maybe it is that we need to meet Jesus. Second thing that we have to do is we got to walk and step with the Spirit. Still in Galatians 5, verse 16, he says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Remember last week, Adam was talking to us about how there's this war always going on. Like, we got this one part that wants to do this thing, and then we got this other part that's like running over here, like wants to do our own thing. Well, Adam gave us four things to help, like, cultivate a, a growing life in Christ where there's like more and more fruit. Okay. I'm going to quickly walk through those because again, it's all the same fruit. Okay. So if we want more love, just like if we want more patience, we want more kindness, we want more goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is going to be true of all these things. There's four quick things Adam gave us that we need to do. First of all, we got to remember that, that fruit growth is outside of our control. Okay. So we're really careful about getting frustrated. Like this deep kind of change doesn't happen through willpower. So please do not walk out of here today and say like, golly, I've got to be more loving. I've got to love people better and like try to willpower your way through this. You cannot do it. So first of all, you need to recognize that, that it happens through the spirit's work. You got to depend on the spirit. The second thing Adam told us last week is that fruit growth is hard work. You're called not to grow fruit, but to do the work of a gardener and to cultivate the soil where fruit can grow better. Does that make sense? You cultivate a hospital environment where the spirit uh, can grow that fruit. Thirdly, he told us that fruit growth is slow. You can't microwave deep character change. You can't microwave fruit. I mean, you can, if you want to watch it blow up, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, you can't do that. It grows slow. Okay. If you're looking at it and staring at it, you're not going to see it change in front of your eyes. Okay. You know, when you come back a couple days later and look at the tree, like, Oh man, that fruit's getting bigger. You know what I'm saying? Or it's wrapping it up. 
The same is going to be true in your life. Don't get too frustrated when you see yourself snapping back. Just keep relying on the Spirit. And lastly, he said that fruit growth comes through abiding in Jesus. Abiding in the vine. John 15, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we want to see, bless you, if we want to see like this kind of fruit growth, real change in our life, do not walk out of here thinking that you've got to muster this up and, and make it happen on your own. And that way God will like you. No, that's not what we're saying at all, at all. Lean on Jesus. Meet him. Trust him. Walk with him daily. Practice the spiritual disciplines. And watch how slowly over time, more and more fruit like this just starts coming out of you. And, you know, you'll, you're going to get cut off in traffic and be like, you know what? That guy must be in a hurry. Like, you know what? I'm going to pray for that dude. Like, golly, that's so dangerous. I'm going to pray that he's safe as he travels up there. And then you're going to sit back and think like, whoa, that's not what I used to do. Where did that come from? And you'll just find like, hey, you know what? The spirit of God is doing something in me. Okay. And this is going to be happening all the way from now until we hit the grave. Okay. And then there's coming a day. Oh, can we just say this real quick? There's coming a day when you're going to come up out of the grave and there ain't going to be none of this stuff. You're not going to be wrestling with none of this anymore. You're going to be perfect and you're going to love others just like you're fully loved. You're going to love God the way you should. You're going to love others the way you should. You're going to love yourself the way you should. But until then, let's just keep wrestling. Let's keep walking in step with the spirit. We're about to take communion. And the band's going to go ahead and come up. And like the whole point, uh, one of the, the main points of, of us taking communion every week is that we have like this physical reminder, a tangible reminder that we need something outside of ourselves in order for this kind of change to happen. Like, like when you take the, the, whatever that is, bread, <laughs> but yeah, if you take that little bread and that juice, it represents the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus for your life. And it's just a reminder that God, I can't do this. I can't love this way. He can do it through you. So let's pray together. And then when you feel ready, uh, if you just take that communion, listen, if you're not following Jesus yet, or you've not experienced that love for yourself, then I would, I would ask you this, that instead of taking communion or receiving that, you'd receive Christ. Because I promise you that eating this or drinking that is not going to make you a, a better person or a better Christian. It's not going to like make God like you. But instead, I would, I would encourage you to consider trusting in Jesus for the first time. And if you've never done that, you'd like to talk to someone about it, I'll be available after the service is over. Uh, I know there's uh, someone you came with. Just find another Christian and talk to them about what does it look like to really experience the love of God through a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, would you do, again, what only you can do? We're trusting you. Like we see these things in your word and we're like, I, I think I want that in me to be true. I, I don't know how to get there. I can't get there. I'm frustrated. I, I just, it's not happening. So I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, just work in us and just continue to chisel away like the flesh and help us kill that stuff. Like help us experience some death so we can experience real life. I pray that would happen as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen.